The Athletic. show the one where lots of stuff can get sorted out we'll give you more perms than an 80s hair salon as the ups and downs the whys and wherefores get sorted this weekend fulham have done it wigan and forest green can do it as the end is nigh for some of the basement battlers add to that when harry met matt and abby and you've got this totally football league show in association with paddy pal the harry in question is mr cornick of luton we'll hear from him shortly until then it's me matt davis adams joined by sam parkin once of luton Hello, Matthew. Hello, Sam. And Ian Danter's back with us too. Never of Luton, but very much of Birmingham City. Arsenal. Uh, no, I was thinking of Eric Morgan then. <laughs> Hello. Uh, right, we're going to start by talking about Fulham because they are now a Premier League concern. We're going to be playing in the Premier League next season. Not we might be or we could be or we should yeah. be. We will be. Here's Harry Wilson carrying it into the penalty area. It's a Mitrovic! Yeah! <laughs> Come on! Come on, Fulham! 3-0, Alexander Mitrovic with his 40th goal of the season. And we've opened them up again like a knife through butter. Harry Wilson with the approach work. Mitrovic with the one touch. Well, it finally happened this week then. Fulham promoted to the Premier League after beating Preston 3-0. Peter Rutzler is the Athletics Fulham reporter. First of all, Peter, you were known as Rutzler the relegator, weren't you, for your associations with, with Bournemouth and Fulham. Are you Peter the promoter yes, now? Yes, I, I hope so. Um, you put it more kindly than when I popped on a Newcastle podcast earlier this season and got absolutely hammered by George Colkin uh, when Newcastle were in the thick <laughs> of it uh, about being a curse. But uh, I, so, I think the curse is lifted now, at least temporarily. So, uh, yes, promoter. <laughs> That's right. You say temporarily. Have you and have Fulham been able to actually enjoy this promotion? Because it feels like the narrative straight away switch to, well, they're only going to come back down again. Is that a bit negative? Do you think that's likely to happen? What, what, what are they looking to do to mitigate against that? I think, uh, I think everyone's sort of chomping at the bit to get to the, uh, to the yo-yo point and, to, and whether Fulham can stay up because that is fundamentally what matters. You know, Yes, their main target for the season was to get back in the Premier League and to do it automatically. They've achieved that. But part two is, is keeping Fulham in the Premier League. I think they are trying to savour it. I think we're all trying to savour it a little bit because it has been such an impressive season. And for as much as Fulham have had a really strong squad, a big budget, parachute payments, the rest of it, you know, they have been exceptional at times this year. Um, some of the performances have been outstanding. The seven nils, the six twos. So trying to take a moment to take that in. They've still got the title to go for. I think that's still sort of a from the playing side of focus, but Absolutely, is it from a from a club perspective? It's all about staying in the Premier League, and and they've got that extra time now. So we'll have to see if they can make it count. Peter, it's Dancy. I was there at the cottage on Tuesday night, and Mitrovic again, two smashing finishes to make it forty for the season. There's been an awful lot of lazy punditry, I feel, about what happened to him in the Premier League. People weren't really looking at the circumstances surrounding his relationship with Scott Parker. I think it's fair to say he'll surely go better next year. But the more crucial thing for me is the supply line. If Carvalho goes and you can't loan him back, which doesn't seem likely, how do Fulham approach that particular conundrum? Yeah, it's a big question. It's a big question, uh, losing Carvalho, because he's been so important. He's he's pretty much the first name on the team sheet uh, behind Alexander Mitrovic. I, I think Tuesday night we saw Carvalho at his best. You know, he... 
absolutely ran Preston ragged uh, with his movement. He's such a naturally gifted player, a unique type of number 10. And it'll be very interesting to see what, uh, I believe he will go to Liverpool. I think that's, that's pretty much done now. It'll be very interesting to see what Marco Silva does next season with that midfield. He has a very set style of play, a 4-3-3 with variations. And at the moment, he's got much more attack-minded midfielders in there generally, like Carvalho. But will he then consider a more defensive setup? Will, will he consider a more rounded midfielder um, as Fulham approach the transfer market? Um, that, that, that will be a big debate. And how that affects the supply line, as you say, because Mitrovic has had a supply line that has been very, very effective. You know, Niskins Cabano on the left, Harry Wilson on the right. Um, the fullbacks, Nicker Williams has come in and been excellent. Anthony Robinson's been very good. Joe Bryan of late as well. You know, that, that quality behind him has, has made a massive difference to his goal scoring tally and and I do agree with you as well I do think it is it's short-sighted I think to just go ah can't do it in the Premier League tried twice Fulham failed because both seasons were (laughs) extremely difficult first one he still scored 11 goals but had three different managers and then as you say the last one didn't exactly see eye to eye with Scott Parker and was was hardly used so you know he'll have a point to prove Fulham have a point to prove and Marco Silva does I think it's the the common narrative at least since uh, Silva's come in and, and Mitrovic is definitely a part of that. Peter, I read your piece this morning uh, on The Athletic before I knew you were coming on, I hasten to add. Um, in terms of the recruitment, for the for the listeners, who is leading that process now and what needs to be done differently in terms of the last time they, they got up and, and obviously didn't get many points? Sure. Well, for context, recruitment is uh, overseen by Tony Khan, who is... The owner's son. He's also head of. I think his full title is vice chairman and head of football operations, and sporting director. I think. Uh, but he he balances his role with a position with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He uh, runs an, uh, a wrestling franchise. Uh, All Elite Wrestling, All Elite very wrestling. successful startup as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So he is. Uh, he's not full time by any stretch of the imagination. So. He, he he takes more of a statistic sort of approach. He he also owns uh, Trueform Media, I think it's called, as well. So he, he looks at it from a stats basis. They, they have this sort of two boxes ticked approach that they still operate by, which one side is statistics, one side is, is scouting. He normally is the sort of figurehead. You know, he's the, he's, he has the sort of the, the sort of final say and whatever, but there is a team behind them. Alistair McIntosh, chief executive, is a man on the ground. And what has been interesting since Marco Silva has come in is that Silver has certainly had a, a strong influence on recruitment. There hasn't been, as as you'll see in the piece I wrote, there hasn't been that any sort of tension so far. I mean, it's been a good season. Why would there be? But when it comes to recruitment, they've been they've seen eye to eye with the players they brought in, Harry Wilson, Paolo Gazzaniga and uh, Nathaniel Chalabar, um, players like that. So from that sense, having that in alignment will be absolutely key. And I think in terms of how they should approach this summer and what they need to do differently, they will benefit from having the extra time. I think that is the biggest factor beyond anything. I mean, last last year, I think they had less than 40 days between the playoff final and the start of the Premier League season. And that was a squad that, you know, finished fourth in the championship. We're not talking about a, a high-flying, uh, all, uh, all-conquering team. This year, much stronger base for squad. They've got those players that they've sort of accumulated over that time um, from which to build. And, and now it's about finding the right pieces. They're going to have to add quality, I think, Across the squad, I think the gap between the Premier League and the Championship is huge. Um, and then obviously there's there's another financial gap once you get into the Championship, as we've seen too. But it's about making the right decisions and getting them in early. And the, the signs are good. I, it does feel like they're in a much better position than they have been. 
but obviously proof will be in the pudding in the, in the coming weeks. Finally, Peter, a word on Marco Silva. Obviously, this is his, his first taste of the, the championship, but, but I wonder how valuable it's going to be for, for Fulham to, to have a manager going into the Premier League who, who's experienced it before. Obviously, that wasn't the case with Scott Parker last time round, or, or not for very long, at least. No, absolutely. I think the impact Marco Silva has had can't be understated, really. I and mean, we've seen that from the performances, the way he's brought the, the group back together, Players that you know had secured promotion before. Some of them weren't involved in the Premier League last time. He's built a strong core group there, um, and he's elevated players. You know, Mitrovic, of course, is is the one player that stands out because of the, his numbers. But he's not alone. You know, Tim Reams had a phenomenal season at centre half. Uh, Nathan Scabano has been has just found a new a whole new level, and he's been at Fulham for half a decade. But this year, we've seen. We've seen what he really can do. And I think that that bodes well when going into the Premier League. And, and as you say, having that experience of the top flight, he's a widely respected coach. He will know what he wants, both in terms of recruitment, in terms of what will the, what the challenge will be. You know, I think I think last year's Fulham Fulham in the circumstances did did pretty well. I mean, they had such a terrible start, partly because they recruited too late, you know, the squad was not ready. And then they got themselves into a position where they could stay up and, and just sort of threw it away in those final weeks after they beat Liverpool and Anfield, you thought they might do it. But this time, there's more time to be to to build what they want to do, to construct the squad in the right way. And when you have a manager who has that Premier League experience, will want to make his mark as well. You know, that's it's it feels like the, there are the right ingredients there. But, you know, it's, it's, that's only one 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 factor. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how they go on next season. Peter, thanks so much for joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Peter Rutzler there. Read him only in The Athletic. Dance, you got thoughts on Fulham's recruitment? Yeah, there's lots to do to, to bridge that gap because even if they win all their remaining games, they're only going to have one point more than Norwich had in winning the title last season. We've seen what's happened to Norwich with... The, the recruitment they've made. They tried, but they, they, they just hadn't managed to find that really competitive edge. For one, um, I look at centre-backs. Tossin's done really well and is developing as a player. Tim Ream's been 10 years in this country and he's been a great servant for, for Fulham and for Bolton before that. And I think he deserves to stick around, but I think they need to find some central defensive steel and some some youth. And there's one player that stands out for me that I don't think Tottenham want anymore, and that's Joe Roden, the Welsh international. He's barely had a kick since his move to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I feel for him a little bit because I, I don't think he's in any any different or any worse quality than what Tottenham have been utilising at centre-half this season. So if he's available and he's anything like cut price, I think Fulham should snap him up. I think oh, that would be an ideal acquisition. It's going to be interesting. We mentioned Tony Khan there. His approach to uh, signing wrestlers is to just sign them all, basically. So we'll see whether Fulham just sign all the players like they did last time, which didn't really work for them. Next today, we'll have a look back at what happened in League One in midweek. Hi, yeah, Manchester holidays. Oh, yes, I'd like to book a holiday, please. Lovely. Anywhere in mind? No, I just need to get away from it all. For two weeks. Do you have anything permanent? The season can't end quickly enough for Manchester United and Ralph Ranick. And whilst we can't send you on that dream holiday, we can provide the best offers. If one leg of your fourfold bet builder lets you down on a football game, get a free bet. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet by the bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Begambleaware.org. 
Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The top three in League One were all in action on Tuesday, but none of them could manage a win. Wigan would have been promoted had they done so at Ipswich, but they had to settle for a point. They were the only of the top three who at least avoided defeat, though, and are now within touching distance of promotion. Uh, Dance, when when you score a late equaliser, you often think of it as a good point. But when the Wigan players got back into the dressing rooms at Portman Road, I'm guessing they probably thought it was a great point. Oh, an enormous point. Very important. It was the law of the exes. Uh, at Portman Road, wasn't it? Will Keane and Sam Morsey both scoring against their their former employers, uh, and Will Keane w- with a couple lovely finish from Morsey's volley to put Ipswich in front was terrific. But fair play to Wigan having gone in front and gone behind to battle back and and earn a point. And yes, in the context of the other results, particularly Rotherham's defeat at Burton, who've now taken points off both Rotherham and Wigan in the last week or so. Yeah, I think that's very, very significant for the title. Uh, Wigan, five points clear of third place MK and they've got a game in hand. Uh, Effectively, probably one point would do it for them due to their goal difference. If they beat Plymouth at home on Saturday, they're up. If Rotherham lose as well, then the title will be theirs. Uh, Speaking of Rotherham, Sam, it's time for my now weekly question. Seriously, though, what has happened to Rotherham? Lost 2-0 at Burton. Burton, Paul Warren says it's difficult, but two wins might do it for us. It feels like it will go down to the wire. We have to keep believing it. Have they run out of steam in the, in the way that they did last year when they had all those games in such a short space of time? Yeah. I don't know if it's a definitive yes, but <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's definitely some mental fatigue going on there. I think physical fatigue as well. I get lambasted for this from some of my fellow ex-pros, but I think the intensity that... I understand Paul Warren has them at, you know, on the training ground and of course match days as well. I think it takes its toll a little bit. Um, a number of players as well, the, the top players are just not in form right now. Not in form. And the effort to get the three points against Ipswich was colossal and that they found something um, in, in that game against obviously an Ipswich side who, like Burton, you know, safe in the knowledge that they're not going to be challenging it or you know in any competitive fixtures really uh, either end of the table before the summer so it was a great win but they they couldn't back it up here he went for that kind of four-man midfield Um, I think Ben Wiles was the one getting furthest forward uh, behind Smith he doesn't really I don't know if it's trust is the right word but he doesn't have the options in attack right now Paul Warren you know think back to Earlier in the season, he had Grigg and he had Ladapo full of goals. Smith, Coyote was an option. None of these guys are contributing enough, really, to get a start under Paul Warren. Hand was forced a bit in this game that he had to get um, Ladapo on early. But they're just lacking a bit of conviction, a bit of creativity going forward. Goals are dried up and likewise, the clean sheets aren't as 
as um, frequent as they as they were a couple of months ago. So I think it's um, it's a combination of factors, but they're they're stumbling over the line. Um, I, w- I would say I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it um, because looking at the fixtures, I think they'll get the points. But it's going to be a lot closer than it should have been. Yeah, Oxford, then away to Sunderland and Gillingham. So not that easy in terms of a run-in, but they do have a game in hand on MK. Burton can be relegators and sort out who's going into the playoffs. They face Doncaster this weekend and then Wickham on the final day. Uh, MK Dons couldn't take advantage of that stumble by Rotherham. They went down 1-0 at Oxford after Sir Billy Bowden hit a late winner. Similar question for you, Dan, to the one that, that I asked Sam about Rotherham. They're just stumbling at the, at the wrong time, aren't they, MK? No wins in three, having been so brilliant for, for the vast majority of the season. Yes, absolutely. And it, it may not necessarily be mental or physical fatigue. At times like this, just a promotion chase gets inside players' heads, doesn't it, Sam? It just it, it, The nerves start to, to jangle. And it wasn't like they didn't have their chances at the Kazam. They had opportunities to take the lead and, and weren't able to take them. The Oxford keeper made a, a brilliant save at one point, Stevens, to deny Scott Twine, I think. There's goals in that team still with Troy Parrott, who's been very good on loan from from Spurs here on Boateng. I think it's just nerves playing on their minds a little bit going into these final field fixtures because they know it's there. And there's a few of these, of course, Dean Lewington's been there, seen it, done it, done the lot. He's the kind of person they need to turn to just to guide them through these these final few fixtures because they're running yeah, but the last couple of games is by no means easy. They've got Morecambe on Saturday who are scrapping for every point and then Plymouth who may or may not be in the top six come final day of the season. I think early in the season we looked at MK and thought they had so many options forward, forward-wise, but I just think Moisa is their one out-and-out goal scorer. They're one predator and he he wasn't available for the Oxford game. I'm not sure what his recovery time is going to look like, but we know Scott Twine's a maverick, can produce at the drop of the hat. Troy Parrott, again, I think is a bit of a link man. I agree with Dan. It's a very talented boy, but he's not going to be a regular goal scorer, I don't think. He's he's a more rounded footballer. Moisa would have given them that probably in the first half. And the other thing they're up against is teams will do what Oxford do and and think long and hard about how you disrupt MK's way of playing beautiful football. And Carl Robinson's changes at halftime to a more direct style. Got the front players closing from the front. That's where the goal came from. If they don't take their chances, they're susceptible to to, to doing that on occasion. So not their day, but they're going to have to, have to dust themselves down and try and focus on these games that remain. And as for Oxford, a couple of weeks ago, we said that Sunderland match was must win for them. They lost it and here they are two points off the playoffs. So shows what we know. Uh, also on Tuesday, Sheffield Wednesday beat relegated crew by a goal to nil to move up to fourth. They're four points behind Rotherham and MK. We'll talk more about Wednesday later. And uh, Charlton won 2-0 at Cambridge in the neither team has much to play for derby. OK, next today, we're going to speak to Luton Town's Harry Cornick. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. 
Uh, Harry, to start with, what a great Easter you had. I mean, how important those wins against Forest and Cardiff. Off the back of the defeat against Huddersfield, you kind of totally flipped the narrative around Luton now, haven't you? And it's, it's looking like you're really well set for a place in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, off the back of international break, we started with uh, two draws and a loss, which is it's no good, really. It's a bad start. We knew we had to pick up points. So going into those two tough games against Cardiff away and Forest at home, probably our two toughest games maybe on paper to the end of the season, a huge six points to, to keep us in the running and uh, puts us in a really good place with uh, three to go. Can you tell us how, with one of the smallest budgets in the league, you're competing with these teams with, with far greater resources, with, with parachute payments or, or rich backers? It's an extraordinary story. Uh, I think it goes down a lot to, to the, the group we've got here. I think it's a really down-to-earth group. I think everyone just fights for each other. Everyone believes in each other. And we're, we're all working so hard to keep everyone else happy, really. And um, you've got a lot goes down to the recruitment team as well to bring in players who maybe weren't on paper going to be one of the top players in the championship but look at Eli, Alan Campbell, players like that who came in this year, they've been phenomenal for us to uh, to push on. And I guess a lot of it's down to, to the manager as well, isn't it? Yeah, he's been fantastic. He, he, he gets a lot of credit and he, he deserves every bit he gets because he works so hard. It's, it's not just him as well, it's, it's the whole staff behind him, the coaches, Chris Cohen, Alan Sheehan, Mick Harford, all the way down to the sports scientists, the physios, everyone here believes in what we do as a club and everyone believes in in, in the fact that we can, we can really do something special this season. So they all work so hard and they, they deserve every bit of credit they get. With Nathan Jones, there's a lot of talk about this presentation that he gives to, to prospective signings. Did you get one of those back in 2017? And, and if so, what, what does it involve? I did indeed. I remember I came down there with my agent. Um, it's a weird story. I, I turned him down the year before. I went to uh, I went to Leighton Orient on loan instead of Luton. And um, first thing he said to me, he said, uh, "You ever make that decision again? You don't you don't decide to play for me now. You'll never play for me ever again in your career." And I was like, <laughs> "So." But the presentation went on. He he told me everything I needed to hear, and he really grips you as a person because you, you believe in what he says, and because he believes in what he says so much, you buy into it, and everyone buys into it. So as soon as he told me, he said to me, uh, I was a winger at the time at Bournemouth. Uh, and he goes, you're not going to be a winger anymore. You'll be a striker. You'll eventually be a championship player. You've just got to give us three seasons and um, and I'll make it all come true. And he's been true to his word. He's, he's done everything he said he would. So as soon as I left that meeting, I said, whatever they offer, sign the contract. I want to I play under that manager. Wow. So that was back in League Two. As you say, you said you'd be a championship player. Have you allowed yourself to think what it'd be like to, to complete the journey and get all the way from League Two up to the Premier League with Luton? Um, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I haven't thought about it. I've, I've thought about it most most evenings at the minute, thinking about what could be the dream. Everyone thinks about it, going to Wembley, scoring the winner at Wembley would be unbelievable, getting promotion. It's the dream every, every kid wants to play in the Premier League, so... Why not dream about it? Because it's what we want to achieve and we think we're good enough. So I think we've got a great chance, to be honest. Uh, you got the winner at Cardiff, 11th of the season. Have you got a favourite goal that you've scored? 11 in the league, of course. You, you scored against Chelsea in the Cup too. Favourite in the league? Um, Cardiff probably up there. I mean, I think that was that was one of the, the biggest goals of the season for me personally, just because it meant so much to the team. It, it kept us in the running. It was a huge goal to get three points. Probably Chelsea's my favourite goal of the season, but... In terms of importantness, Cardiff's the, the most important by a country mile. Uh, we always like to finish off with an incredibly serious and tough question. Luton Town of the Hatters, what's your favourite type of hat? Great question. Um, 
I probably wear just, just a classic baseball most of the time, but I, I don't mind if it was a little trilby on, on holiday, a little smart one off the cuff. Be, be nice with a nice open open floral shirt maybe in the summer when the sun's shining. I think that's my favourite hat. Go with the trilby. All right. I'm surprised you say that, Harry, to be honest, because you've got that magnificent mop of hair. I, I'd be, I thought you'd have been concerned about hat hair, but but if you're on holiday, that, that's not an issue for you. Yeah, it's no issue. I think the hat that just completes the outfit, but I do care about the hair a lot. But nah, that, when the hat comes on, I think it increases the look. looks even better. <laughs> Uh, I'm with you. I'd love to see you in a top hat on the open t- top bus parade when uh, when you're celebrating promotion to the Premier League in, in a month or so's time. Um, thanks very much for joining us today, Harry. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Harry Cornick there. Uh, Luton in the Premier League. Sam, you've already said that, it, that it's going to happen. Uh, I think you've rode back a little bit on your comments and extended it to at some point in the next five years. Um, everybody apart from those who support Forest or Huddersfield or Sheffield United or Middlesbrough or whoever else you want to name, Millwall, wants, wants Luton to go up, don't they? It, it's the story for the neutral. It is, yeah. I've seen some disparaging comments. I don't know whether it's tongue-in-cheek on... Twitter mainly about, you know, the, the Premier League big guns having to visit Kenilworth Road and walk through the houses and the coach park up on the main road there and the players have to do the last bit of the journey by foot. Hopefully there'll be some of that going on next season. But yeah, for guys like us who remember Luton in cup finals and the artificial surface and the Steen brothers and all that, it's got a you know, wonderful history, that, that club and have been through a horrendous time in terms of the off-field matters at the club. So to get back at this speed um, to the championship and be challenging is an incredible story, very romantic and um, just seems to work, doesn't it, Nathan Jones? He's got the nucleus of that squad, well, a number that have been there all the way through from, from League Two, have had consecutive promotions and the way they've responded in the last couple of games, you know, that's all about, a large part of it is the togetherness. You know, you can't you can't get away from that. I spoke to Cameron Jerome at length actually at the the recent game at Huddersfield, and yeah, normally the experienced guys are a good judge really and don't give you the the cliches. And he just said, "Brilliant, brilliant unity between the players. Loves going in every day. Some really fantastic young players was." You know, very, very complimentary about the coaching staff. Loves working with Nathan Jones, which was the first question I asked him because uh, I'm petrified by him every time I talk to him in in, in the media. So <laughs> I was interested to know what he's like on the training ground, but he said from Monday to Friday, it's it's, it's brilliant. Gets everyone going. Uh, closer you get to match days, he's, he's pretty wild. So yeah, you got to, I've Sam, got to take that. Sam, you could crush him with your thumb. He's your six <laughs> foot five and he's four foot nothing. Why are you terrified of him? <laughs> Because he's the most intense football manager I've <laughs> I've ever spoken to in my life. Uh, so I was just really intrigued to to know what he was like, you know, day to day. Does he come in and have a have a cup of tea and and keep himself to himself? But no, it's the it's the polar opposite. So yeah, brilliant story, and yeah, it looks like they're going to be in the playoffs now. And you know, again, they're just a diff- they're a, they would be a very very dangerous animal in the, in the playoffs because of. You know, because of the crowd, because of the pitch, because of the energy. Really looking forward to it if it happens. 
yeah, so they can book their place in the playoffs this weekend if they win and Millwall and Borough don't match their result. Huddersfield are also looking to secure their place in the playoffs. If they win, they will do that. Forest need five more points uh, in order to do so. Dance, we think, what, Forest, Huddersfield and Luton look pretty settled. Who have you got finishing sixth? Are you thinking Millwall are going to continue this late run or, or maybe Borough and Sheffield United will improve a little bit in the last couple of games? Millwall's running looks good. Uh, I mean, they're coming to our place on Saturday and we've just got Gub 6-1 at Blackpool. Uh, uh, and the the morale of the the club, we really are lurching Birmingham towards the end of the season. So, and Gary will have all the motivation he needs to go back to St Andrews and take three points. Then they're home to Peterborough, who are as good as down. We'll see what happens this weekend with them. And then Bournemouth on the final day, who by that time could be at 400 yards further south on Boscombe Beach with the the old flip flops out, knowing that automatic promotion's been assured. So you look at those three games and in theory, there should be a good points haul from that that would put pressure on Sheffield United and Middlesbrough and others around them. So if Mill will get the win on Saturday at Birmingham, then that's a very intriguing last couple of fixtures, I think, personally, for them to see if they can knock Sheffield United out of their stride because the goals have started to dry up for Sheffield United just lately. Uh, well, that leads us nicely into the championship game we're going to look at this weekend. It is Birmingham against Millwall. Uh, let's start with Birmingham then, Dance. I mean, you must absolutely love coming on this podcast to talk about them <laughs> this season. You mentioned the the hammering at Blackpool last weekend. Do you think Lee Bowie is going to be around next season? Do you want him there? Is it his fault? Is it totally out of his control? Um, I think he'll be there till the end of the season, certainly. If the previous chief executive had been in charge, he'd be gone. In fact, he wouldn't even have had the job in the first place because I think that was the bone of contention when Aitor Karanka was eventually hired. I think the rest of the board wanted Boya at that time and they were vetoed by Don Ren, who appointed Karanka, and that didn't go well. Whether Lee Boya is the solution is a, very, is a different question. He's certainly not the problem, Matt, if I can put it that way. Um, he cut a pretty disconsolate figure, sat on the bench at half-time. He must have gone in, given his players two minutes of an absolute rocket and then realised he got nowhere to go and sit that was private because he's away from home at Bloomfield Road. So he thinks, stuff this for a game of soldiers, I'm sitting on the bench. So it's not a good image. Uh, and the Birmingham fans who took up pretty much the whole of that uh, terrace along the, the, the touchline let their feelings be known at 3-0 down. Troy Deeney goes over for a 10-minute chat with her supporters at the end, and that was pretty feisty stuff from what I'm led to believe. So there's a lot of problems to unpack at, at Birmingham. Uh, there's a lot of lone players that are going back, quite a few of whom have done well. Onel Hernandez, Tahith Chong, Matias Sarkic, before he got injured, the goalkeeper had had a really good spell with us. So Craig Gardner's got his work cut out in the summer to you know, recruit permanence, hopefully, rather than just relying on loan deals. But at the same time, trying to get players out of the club who are on stupid money for where we are and what we are. Some of the players are on gargantuan sums of money a week. And I get the feeling that even if some of them are moved on, Matt, some of them are going to be moved on, but we'll still be paying a, a portion of their wages to get them gone. So it's such a long process to get Birmingham back to being anything like the sort of competitive 
championship club you would expect them to be. You mentioned Gary Rowett earlier. Would things look any different now if, if he hadn't been ditched for Gianfranco yes. Zola of all people? Yes, I, 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 I really can't see anything other than because the, the the thing was at that time, Matt. What was it? Twenty twenty sixteen was it? The wage structure uh, and the way the club was set up was much more streamlined. There weren't many players on massive money. I could there might have been one or two that would have been on. 10 grand a week, maybe a little bit more, but most were on five or six thousand pounds a week, as I was led to believe. And we were just outside the playoffs, if not in the playoffs on goal difference, when he was dismissed. And then the autograph hunters of the board, including Dong, hired Gianfranco Zola, who had a win percentage rate of somewhere around 10% in his games. Harry Redknapp's pitched in, keeps us up. Then the transfer committee has the worst transfer window possibly in our history, summer of 2017, and that's what we're still paying for now. That transfer window, the mistakes, the overspending, the criminal use of funds, that's what we're still paying for now. And unfortunately, we aren't going to stop paying it for some time yet. Yeah, it's not a great situation. Uh, quite the reverse at Millwall then, Sam, another place where you spent some time during your illustrious playing career. Uh, we mentioned Millwall's remaining games. They've got Peterborough, who might well be relegated, and Bournemouth, who might well be promoted. Pompey are relegated and Bournemouth are promoted by the time they play them. But they'll also be hoping that Jed Wallace will be able to play a significant part. He and Scott Malone, both major doubts for this game. We know how important Wallace is to them. Yeah, I think the last time... He returned from an injury. They won five straight games um, relatively recently. I remember saying to him when he was on the podcast not so long ago, if they navigated that looting game successfully, it's on because of the fixtures. And they've pretty much done that bar the Preston game. And that's what could maybe just hinder this run. Um, I still think Sheffield United will get the points because of the games. I think even going into Fulham on the last day, if Fulham are already up, well, they're already up. If Fulham are champions, I could see Sheffield United winning that game if there's something on it. So, yeah, I still would favour the Blades, but this is a great time to go to Birmingham for Millwall. We can't get away from it. I think the last time Dance was on, actually, Millwall had just beaten Birmingham. I said something as foolish as Birmingham could finish mid-table and Dance <laughs> scoffed at me. So that's the, uh, the one thing I got wrong. Uh, yeah, very wrong this season. But yeah, this is a, this is a game which I'd imagine will be tight um, set pieces have been a real avenue for success for Millwall, as you would imagine. I think Birmingham have conceded the second most in the table, so that's an obvious way that Millwall can can hurt them. But I think there's been signs. We we spoke to Jed Wallace about it, uh, about you know a little bit more, a little bit more attacking prowess, you know, than you maybe you maybe expect with Millwall and the Gary Rowett side. Yes, defensively they're superb. That's always going to be the case with, with him, you know, quite a pragmatic manager and got good defenders at, at Mill. But I like Bury, who's been playing behind the front two of Bradshaw and Afobi. And those two seem to really, really be enjoying themselves. And it gets the two up front, which the, the supporters kind of demand. Um, so, yeah, three points in this one. The pressure does really heap on Sheffield United to, to maintain their, their form. Can I just say finishing 20th? would constitute a mid-table finish for me, <laughs> for Birmingham, <laughs> if only because of the, the points gap. And I think um, the EFL may well win Club Man of the Season at the end of season awards for 
docking Derby 21 points and Reading 6 points because without those deductions, we all know now where Birmingham would be. Mm, they don't have a great record in this fixture either. Haven't beat Millwall anywhere since 2018 and not at home since 2013. In terms of the perms then for the weekend in the Championship, a win for Reading relegates Peterborough and Barnsley. If they draw their games, Posh and Barnsley, they will also be relegated. Uh, League One is where it's at this weekend with business at both ends of the table to be sorted out. We mentioned Wigan could confirm promotion or even the title this weekend. Also, a key matchup between two teams currently in the playoff places as Wickham Wanderers welcome Sheffield Wednesday to the world-famous Adams Park car park. We're just basically doing your career today, aren't we, Sam? Because <laughs> now, now we're going to Wickham above Sunderland in seventh on I think goal I slept difference. in said car park a few times, different, <laughs> different times, Matt, different times. <laughs> oh, there's an athletic long read in that. I'm sure. Um, so Wickham above Sunderland in seventh on goal difference. Sunderland have got a game in hand on them. But we've spoken, Sam, haven't we, a lot today about teams losing form at, at just the wrong time. Wickham unbeaten in 10. And, and, you know, even last week, the point at Wimbledon was was a decent result, all told, given that they came from behind and that Wimbledon were, were just as desperate for the points as they were. Yeah, I think, you know, huge credit to, to Gareth Ainsworth, who I know is kind of fighting against the... Uh, the cliche that Wickham are just kick and rush and big man up front. I think he's introduced a lot more technically good footballers this year and tries to play different styles for for different games. And since he he changed the formation eight games ago, and I spoke to him about this, I think they're unbeaten. You know, actually, since he's done that crucial stage of the season, he said he had a week on the training ground uh, to prepare for, for for the change after shipping quite a number of goals. And it's reap rewards, really. So I think, you know, you look at their last home game, first half, especially at Adams Park, they come out flying. I think that's their second uh, best in terms of their first 45 minutes. Uh, just Rotherham can better them in terms of how they've been sitting at half time in games. So they'll be looking for something similar here where they can get in front and then manage the game and frustrate all the things that they do do. Um, excellently well. So, um, yeah, a tough game between two of the form sides. I think 21 points and and 20 points respectively after over the last 10 games. So they're, they're banging form. Played out a 2-2 at, at Hillsborough uh, earlier in the season. And I imagine it will be one goal, you know, either way that, that decides this. But, um, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, you'd think it'd be tight dance, wouldn't you? Just just because of, of where these two are in the table and, and sort of the nature of the way they play, I suppose, as well. But Sheffield Wednesday, all of a sudden, automatic promotion, far from out of the question for them, you'd say. Four points off the top two. And given what we've said about Rotherham and MK Dons and, and their stumbles, a win for, for Wednesday here, and they'll believe that they can bypass the playoffs. Quite so. You've got two teams on tremendous runs of form. I think, I think for Wickham, it's 10 unbeaten. And Sheffield Wednesday, eight, unbeaten. They got over the line with a penalty against Crewe, although, again, loads of chances created and Barry Bannon as usual at the hub of everything that was good about Wednesday's attacking play. Um, I I can't get a bus ticket between these two in terms of this game. I, I think it could end up being a goalless draw. I think that, that the... The systems. What's it now? Four-two-three-one. They play now. Is it Sam that they're that they're utilising? Yeah. And that up against the the three at the back that Sheffield Wednesday deploy normally with five in midfield. That could. 
I mean, that could provide spaces for somebody to exploit, but I've got a funny feeling that these two teams are just going to cancel each other out and they'll live to fight another day, as it were, for their respective um, their respective goals. But that's a really tough game to call. I think at times this season, Sheffield Wednesday have, by um, necessity really, had to play full-backs at, at centre-half. We spoke about it a lot a few months ago. And he did that again against Crew. Uh, I'm not sure if that was because of injuries, but they had to win that game against Crew. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how he goes against Wickham. Their physical threat, does he get more orthodox centre-halves into his back line, just as Dance says, to shore things up and, and get a point, worst-case scenario? Or is um, Darren Moore brave enough to go a bit more expansive and try and outscore Wickham? As Sam mentioned, 2-2 between them at Hillsborough in November. Wickham won 1-0 at Adams Park when they met last term. So in League One, if MK Dons beat Morecambe and Sunderland don't win their game, they're assured of a playoff place. Uh, There are loads of possibilities though, so we're not going to run through them all. We'll just tell you on Monday what happened. Uh, Meanwhile, at the bottom of the table, Fleetwood Town versus AFC Wimbledon. What a big game this is. Fleetwood start the weekend in the final relegation place, but only a point behind Gillingham with a game in hand. Uh, Paddy Lane suspended after that double red card incident against Gillingham. So so Paddy Lane won't be in Wimbledon's ears or in, in their eyes. Um, sorry, Dance, you're rightly shaking your head um, at that. Uh, Fleetwood and, and Wimbledon, this is like a real race to the bottom, isn't it? Two teams in absolutely atrocious form and, and yet one of them, probably only one of them, might end up staying up. Yeah, no wins at home in eight, I think, at Highbury for, for the Cod Army. So something... And, and Wimbledon have a, now one in 26... So something's got to give, you would assume. Um, and Fleetwood, yeah, you know, a nil-nil draw at Gillingham. I think they might be quite happy with that. Um, that's And that whole red card thing. I mean, you probably spoke about it on the previous pod, but that was just utterly bizarre uh, that that decision of two red cards was come to. But yeah, they, they, they've lost their way a little bit. They're scoring goals still, Fleetwood, but... Uh, so AFC Wimbledon would have had the stuffing knocked out of them with that Wickham equaliser when they thought they were going to hang on and get three points, and it would be Akin Fenwer against his old club just to further extend that long winless run. I've got a funny feeling Fleetwood will get back to winning ways on Saturday, and then it's a question of uh, you know whether that's enough for them to stay up. Um, I'm not sure that it is necessarily enough, but I think. That may well condemn AFC Wimbledon regardless. Uh, on that double red card, by the way, our friend Nancy Frostick's written about it on The Athletic. Go and check that out uh, if you so desire. Wimbledon then, Sam, four points from safety, only two games left. The, the good news is that their last win was in the northwest at Accrington. The bad news oh, is that it was actually there, last Matt. year. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. This is, you know, I was gone to, desperately gone looking for something. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, only an hour away, you know. They've got all those great memories of the coach trip up there. Maybe Mark Bowen on the phone to Mark Robertson. Which services was it again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. What did you have for your premium? Go away, Mark. <laughs> Go to that really nice one up at T Bay. That'll uh, you know that's add too a, far an north. hour or so onto your onto your journey, but still. Um is Mark Bowen gonna stay if they're in League Two next season? I mean, has he done enough to to prove that he should do it? Or or do you see any way of them turning this around and, and getting that win that they are so desperately in need of? 
No, I don't see them turning it around. If they can't get anything out of a crew game um, a week or so ago, then it's difficult to make a case for them. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do in the summer because I didn't expect it to this this season to have this uh, this fate. Really, um, it probably would make sense for an experienced hand to help. What's going to be quite a big overhaul, I would say, in, in the summer. I think there's been probably quite a lot of mistakes made in the recruitment department. Um, I don't think the quality's been there. Whatever Wimbledon season's thrown up, they've always had one or two, it's talismanic, too strong. They've always had two strikers or one striker they can really trust in, whether it be Elliot or Lyle Taylor, Akin Fenwa going back a few years, Palmer, Piggott recently. Not had that this year at all. Um, and I just think it's that distinct lack of threat, which ultimately is going to cost them. Um, I think this game actually could be decided by a striker, but I think Harrison at, at Fleetwood, who's come in, I think he's got six goals uh, in the games that he's started. I think he could be the difference in a game like this, but, you know, it's not going to be for, for the purists. But yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think Mark Bowen staying at the start of next season Um would probably be a decent way to go about, you know, rebuilding what the the long-term future looks like now. I don't really know because I, I felt that this was going to be a, a monumental year in, in Wimbledon's history and changing the whole dynamic of the football club and going with younger players and a bit more of a expansive um, style of play. It's not played out like that. So it will be fascinating, but I, do, I don't see them staying up this season now. I think I think that's gone. I think we may well see Mark Bowen taking on Mark Hughes next <laughs> season. They've been joined at the hip at so many clubs and they're going to be likely in opposite dugouts. If if Mark Hughes wants to stick around at Bradford, for one thing, I, I don't know what his long-term ambition is and whether Bowen fancies the crack at, at League Two. Yeah, there's, there's all sorts of variables, aren't there, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, there are, but it does seem bizarre to have Mark Hughes and Mark Bowen managing in League Two. Just one more thing on the striker front at Wimbledon. They've not scored more than one in the last 10 games. And obviously this huge deficiency has been giving up single goal leads. Uh, I think it's happened 12 times in this in this losing or this streak where they've not won. So, you know, I just don't... I don't see that changing. I think there's been a slight improvement under Mark Bowen in making them a bit sturdier and a bit more difficult to beat, but not enough going the other way to suggest they can win two games. If they lose, they are down. Draw and a defeat for Gillingham, they'd still be hope. Doncaster playing Burton, they need to win to retain any hope of staying in League One next season. And even if they do, it looks a long shot. Well, a team who will surely be in League One next season are Forest Green Rovers. Bristol Rovers might be joining them too. The two meet on Saturday. FGR will be promoted to League One if they can avoid defeat in this game. Uh, Albeit, they're not great away from home, Dan. It's only one win in seven. The only defeat in that run was that shellacking at Barrow, but I mean, I'm trying to make a case for them not getting promoted. It is definitely happening, but but this is a tricky game to try and secure that promotion in. Yes, because Elliot Anderson's playing so well for Bristol Rovers at the moment and finding the net with alarming regularity. And of course, the Gats have got their own desires to you know get themselves sorted, at least in the playoffs uh, in, in League Two. Um, 
I followed the Forest Green story with great interest for the last couple of years. Uh, this strange rivalry that developed with Tranmere Rovers after the National League final, the playoffs three years ago, and Dale Vince sneaking into Prenton Park at half-time this season when Tranmere were all, uh, already 3 or 4 nil down to Forest Green. Um, I think that they're pretty much there. And I'm so impressed with Rob Edwards. He came in fresh. You know, Jimmy Ball had the last few games. There was that heartache of the playoff semi-final defeat to Newport. I was at that game. It was incredible. The rain lashing down in Gloucestershire. Kevin Ellison scoring a worldie. Forest Green pipped. But Rob Edwards has rallied that squad together. And it's not wildly different, the squad this season, from last. Normally a squad doesn't make it up through the playoffs and there's a sea change of personnel. But you've still got the likes of Nicky Cadden there. You, you know, you've still got players who've been involved with the squad for some time. I'm so pleased for them that they're on the brink because they're a, a terrific club. And they've got big plans, Matt. You've seen those plans that Dale Vince has unveiled for a brand new uh, eco stadium. I think by Junction 12 of the M5 near Stroud, there's, you know, the, I, I'm not sure what their glass ceiling is at the moment. I don't know whether Sam has any ideas about where they could actually reach in terms of a summit as a club. League One, is that as far as they can go, do you think? I don't know. I think he'd probably have bigger ambitions than that long term. Uh, I think, you know, back to the days trying to get out of the National League, they were always very well backed. Um, and I think there was quite a lot of clubs envious, you know, when they made it into the league for the first time. So I think if, you know, he stays on Dale Vince and continues to back them, there'll probably be, you know, finances to definitely compete at the next level. You wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate them struggling next year. That's for sure. I think there's a, there's a clear plan in place, joined up thinking, you know, a style of play, you know, all those things that maybe get altered season after season at other clubs. I think this is a really well-run ship, which will, um, which will probably, you know, prosper when they get up to League One next season. Uh, Bristol Rovers wise, slightly weird story coming out on Wednesday, the club making a statement condemning fans abusing staff on social media and adults buying child's tickets and trying to get into games. Uh, going a bit better for them on the pitch when 11 of their last 15, two points off the automatic places with three games to go. They've got the momentum, Sam. Do you think that they are going to be a team who will be in League One next season? And if so, are they going to do it automatically rather than through the playoffs? I can't go back on my prediction from Monday, um, Tuesday, sorry. No, um, I've still got Port Vale just pipping them for that for that third spot. But um, I think this could change the the dynamic a little bit. If they could beat Forest Green and, and Port Vale drop points at Walsall, then it could be on. And their their home form is, is ridiculous at the moment. Won the last five, conceded one. I think this is a product of... A manager having time on the training ground probably and and players getting used to the ideas and getting better as the season progresses. You know, I think there's been probably quite a lot of changes at Bristol Rovers in the the playing squad in the last twelve months and they seem to have a real settled side now. Obviously brilliant defensively and he's got, you know, incredible options going forward. Anderson that Dance mentioned, Collins loved him at uh, at Forest Green previously took a bit of time this season but showing his worth now and you've got Nicholson Thomas Loft players of that calibre on the bench the other day so there's loads to like about them now and because that ho that home form has been so good Forest Green have got 
yes, they they, they want to get the, the prize sewn up, but I think with the games remaining, they'll do so. I think this is probably a game where, you know, Bristol Rovers could upset the upset the odds. Uh, Perms-wise in League Two, if Oldham lose and Barrow and Stevenage win, then the Latics will be relegated. Uh, at the top, as mentioned, a draw enough for FGR. Uh, if Mansfield lose next to win, Exeter are assured of a top six place. They'd only need two wins to assure automatic promotion. All right, high time. We heard from producer Abby. She's going to give us some odds on the games we've been talking about, courtesy of Paddy Power. So let's begin in the championship uh, where we we talked about um, we've talked about Birmingham versus Millwall. Uh, Millwall the favourites there six to five. Birmingham nine to four. Obviously the glamour tie this weekend sees Bournemouth face already promoted Fulham. So I thought I'd have a little look at those odds as well. Uh, Bournemouth are the favourites in this one. They're six to five. Fulham nineteen to ten. And if you fancied Mitro or Solanke to get a goal, they are six to four anytime scorers. And we've been speaking with Harry Cornock of Luton. They are nine to two to be promoted, which makes them the fifth favourites, i.e. if they reach the playoffs, they'll be having a first leg, second leg and no further, according to Paddy Power. Into League One, uh, we talked about Wickham and they are facing the Owls. They are six to four to win. They're the favourites against uh, Wickham, who are 17 to 10. Dance mentioned he liked the idea of a nil-nil. We didn't like the idea, but he thought that might happen. Uh, That's 17 to two. The 2-2 draw that we saw last time, that's 11. 11 to 1 between Fleetwood and uh, AFC Wimbledon. Fleetwood, the favourites, 13 to 10. Don, the Dons, 21 to 10, as is the draw. And finally, into League Two, where it's very tight between Bristol Rovers and Forest Green. Uh, Br- Bristol Rovers, though, the slight favourites at 6 to 4. Forest Green, 7 to 4. There you go. Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, right, we've been talking ups and downs and permutations all show. I would like you, chaps, please, to make a wild prediction for something that will happen next season. Uh, Dance, anything spring to mind? Swansea for the playoffs in the championship under Russell Martin. I've seen... The shoots of recovery for Swansea. It's been a, a very sort of meandering season. You know, wins, draws, defeats, all fairly similar in that column. I think it's 16 wins, 15 defeats, 11 draws. Uh, if they have a good summer of recruitment, then they could surprise people in the championship next year and and push on with the sort of football that the fans wanted to see when Steve Cooper was there, but he just they never fell in love with him. Um, if Russell Martin gets them up the league playing the football he's been giving them, they'll absolutely fall for him hook, line and sinker. Sam, what you got? You wimp dance. I was going to go Swansea <laughs> up as champions. <laughs> <laughs> I shall give you Ipswich Town as champions. Yeah, like that. <laughs> Kieran McKenna doing a great job there. Um, I will say Forest Green to be in the League One playoffs at the end of next season. And I will Ooh. also say, here's an even bigger prediction, no EFL clubs in administration in 2022-23. Um, that is a wild and wildly hopeful prediction, uh, I would suggest. Good luck with that one. <laughs> be nice though, wouldn't it? Uh, Dance, many thanks for joining us again today. We'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. Sam, always a pleasure. Rarely a chore. Cheers, guys. See you soon. 
Uh, thanks to Abby as well. Thanks to Harry Cornick and to Peter Rutzler for joining us. We'll be back on Monday when we will have plenty of stuff to discuss as stuff gets sorted out at the business end of the Football League season. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.